This is an APAC EO production. Welcome to episode 97 of the EO Business Podcast for APAC. I'm Brendan Tarazzi, the host of the show, and this morning I'm with Anand Sundaraj from Sun Law. Hi, Anand. Morning, Brendan. Great to be speaking with you. Um, now, tell us about your business because you've like carved, from what I understand, you've got like a carved out like a special niche in, in law. Yeah, so um, I've spent most of my career prior to starting this business at large law firms, um, global law firms really, um, in Sydney, in Melbourne, in Hong Kong and in New York. Um, mm. So I spent around 15, 16 years working uh, either at large corporate mergers and acquisitions firms or at an invest at an investment bank. Um, so were you an, were you an expat for all those years, like travelling around the world, or were you based in Sydney? Or yeah, so for five years in Melbourne, uh, about a year in Hong Kong, give or take, uh, about a year in New York, and the rest of the time in Sydney. Okay. okay. Um, so about eight years ago. Um, a friend who had started a very a small sort of boutique, I suppose, law firm suggested to me that I could take the mergers and acquisitions and capital market skills that I'd learned working at large law firms, you know, where I'd worked on, you know, multi-billion dollar, sort of $100 million size transactions and scale them down to to smaller businesses. Um and uh, look, I was I was very sceptical at first, and I, and I think I probably lacked confidence in myself in being able to build a business in that kind of area without a big brand name behind me. Mm. Uh, but I took the leap eight years ago. I, I stuck with them for three years, and I really consider that three years a, a sort of apprenticeship because, you know, it's one thing to be a, an expert in your uh, subject matter, and mine is, you know, mergers and acquisitions and capital markets. Uh, but it's a very different thing to start a business in that yeah. area. Um, I, I suspect that a lot of the people you talk to um, sort of say a similar thing. You know, so being a corporate lawyer and running the business of being a corporate lawyer, um, you know, has has been a bit of a, a wild ride in terms of, you, you know, scaling up my ability and, lear- and learning how to, to, to run this kind of business. But... Yeah, for the f- last five years, we've been running a, a boutique, mergers and acquisitions, funds, and and capital markets practice. Um, you know, maybe I should explain what those things are. Mergers and acquisitions are essentially buying or selling a business or a company. Uh, capital markets is raising funds. Um, sometimes it's linked to an, an initial public offering, so listing on ASX. Sometimes it's for an existing listed company who are raising further capital through a placement, a rights issue, or share, share purchase plan. Or sometimes it's raising capital for a private company, often a, a startup or a, a, a you know textile company who's raising you know seed or Series A or Series B funding. Uh, we also do a bit of funds management, which is uh, you know as, as the name suggests. Um, you know, setting up investment funds. Um, and uh, w- one of our partners, who's also my wife, is an employment lawyer. So w- we have quite a niche specialty. And, and look, I think in Sydney, I don't think that there are any firms our size, sort of, you know, small and boutique, who do the kind of um, 
a mixture of private equity, venture capital, and listed company work that we do. So, so, so am I a bit unique in that way? So, am I understanding correctly that you write the contract documentation, or is it more than that? That you're advising your customers or your clients on how to structure deals. Um, yeah, look, so d- definitely writing the contract is is part of it, but I'd say that that's in some respects the least Im- important part. I, I think the the more important aspect is um, you know pr- providing that sort of trusted advice around. Um, you know how to structure a deal, negotiating a deal, and quite often our clients, even if they are listed companies, um, are pretty closely held. Um, you know, the, the controlling stakes are held by one or two individuals or, or a group of a few individuals. So, um, uh, yeah, so certainly in the listed space, and also in the private M and A space, we are frequently advising. Business owners, you know, people like yourself, Brendan, who've who've started a successful business, and then either want to sell it or you know, or or IPO it or, or do something of that nature. So it's um, yeah, it's everything from drafting the contract to negotiating the deal with the various counterparties, uh, li- liaising with regulators, um, you know, negotiating with lawyers on the other side. So how do you get the work? Is it mainly like after five or eight years, is it is it your reputation precedes you and you get um, people recommend you or entrepreneurs coming back to you because they've had a good experience in a previous deal? How, yeah, how it's, does- it's all of those things. So um, we don't do any advertising. I, I've never really attempted to do any. I, I just don't think anyone Googles M&A lawyers. <laughs> and if they do, it's probably the wrong one, right? So yeah, I suspect so. I mean... Um, a big a big part of our business has been referrals from a director who's seen us uh, work for company A, and then he's on the board of company B, and he said he said, "Look, you need Arnold and, and yep. the team to to do this transaction for you." Um, and we've got probably half a dozen sort of super referrers in that category. You know, people who sit across four or five different boards who've yep. taken us um, across. To each of the public companies that they um, are directors of, uh, we get a lot of referrals from corporate finance uh, firms. So these are these are like investment banks without a balance sheet, if you like. So the, yep. the corporate financial advisor who comes in, <clears throat> you know, they they sort of sit above the business broker in terms of their level of expertise. They, you know, can build a financial model and, and you know help you go in a market your business. And then, and then accountants. So you know, uh, we get quite a lot of referrals from mid-tier accounting firms, uh, where they have a client who wants to vend a business, uh, and we have you know half a dozen trusted relationships with with uh, very good accounting firms who you know frequently have clients who want to sell businesses. Um, you know, and our, our sweet spot's probably in the range of twenty to two hundred million dollars in terms of the size of the deals we do. Um, in, in the and, sense, in the sense of that's the uh, sell price. Yeah, look, I think anything less than that in our fees, frankly, just don't make sense. Yeah, and anything larger than that, you probably need a larger team of lawyers. Yeah, uh, to, to work on the transaction because you know generally there's due diligence that accompanies these kinds of acquisitions or disposals. 
Mm. Um, and, and when you get businesses that are larger than two hundred million dollars, the number of bodies you need reviewing yeah. you know, contracts, diligence material, um, it, it probably exceeds our our size and, and capability. Have you, Have you seen like you read these things in the paper where deals are they? It's almost like they've gone so far. They've got like teams and teams of lawyers doing deals, and they just do it anyway because they're so far in deep. But perhaps they shouldn't have. To have do you ever come across that? Uh, yeah, you know what I mean. I like I, the... I hope maybe they've been working on it for nine to twelve months, and it's a whole team, and they're just like, oh, let's get this bloody thing done because yeah, it's it's the sunk cost fallacy, right? Um, and uh, it's a, co- a combination of that and deal fatigue. So when I act for vendors, uh, um, I, I often say to them that uh, something they might experience towards the end of the deal, especially if it drags on for months, is that they might be prepared to agree to terms that are less favourable simply to get the deal done. Hmm. So always resist that temptation. And the other thing that happens is um, that when buyers spend a little bit of money on lawyers and accountants and tax people to do due diligence, once they've spent three or four months diligencing a business and negotiating a sale, uh, especially if it's a listed company where, you know, the head of M&A has to report to a board, um, there's often uh, a, 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 a sense of urgency or pressure to get a deal done simply because time and money has been spent on it. Hmm. Now, the costs involved in doing that diligence and the cost of spending that time probably only represents a fraction of the overall deal price, a few percentage points. And yet, in my experience, uh, <laughs> I have found that um, quite frequently, frankly, you know, people uh, find themselves forced into, a, into, into the need to do a deal to justify the, the time and cost hmm. of it. Yeah, which can play very nicely into the hands of an entrepreneur, a founder who's looking to sell his or her business, because you know, once once that money has been spent and that and that time has been spent, then they can they can often get uh, they can often get a little extra. Yeah, you know, in the, in the last uh, in the last in the, at the eleventh hour at the end of the deal. And so, do you prefer working on the buy or sell side, or you don't you don't mind either either way? Well, well, I think we probably find ourselves acting on the sell side 60 to 70% of the time. Yeah. Uh, it's simply because, um, you know, that's how our referral network has, has built up. Yeah. We do have some private equity, small private equity clients and uh, a couple of venture capital firms where we're acting on the buy side. Um, and we do have a few listed companies who are acquisitive. And so we, we definitely do stuff on the buy side. You need, you need, I think you need both yeah. experience in order to be able to give a balanced view to your clients and to know what's going on in the market. Yeah. But um, I must say I prefer working on the vendor side because typically, especially where it's a private company, you know, you're working with a family or an individual or perhaps husband or wife, uh, and there's nothing uh, more rewarding or more thrilling, frankly, and being trusted with that that person or that group of people with the sale of this, you know, of this asset, this business that they've built up over time. Um, and you, you really form a deep bond and connection, a, tr- a trust hmm. uh, with them. And, and that's, you know, w- one of the best parts of, of my job is is 
you know, is building that kind of relationship yeah. and rapport with people where they trust you to, 100%. you know, with, with probably the most important transaction of their life in many cases. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so, so acting on the sell side, like for the, you know, for those families or entrepreneurs that you talked about, is it kind of like I'm in my head of like, it's like you're the defender in a way, like you want to make sure that, I don't know, that all bases are covered so they don't, there's no problems down the track. Is that, or is yes. it more, or is it more like a, I'm, you know, my limited knowledge of law, but like defense versus an attacker sort of thing. So, yeah, no, that's an entirely correct way to look at it. Mm. Um, you know, there are multiple aspects to a transaction. Frequently, you just look at the top line, right? What are they getting paid? Mm. $30 million for the sale of that business. But actually, um, the contract for sale encompasses a series of promises that a, a vendor or seller will make about their business. They'll also typically provide an, in, a, an indemnity for any losses if any of those promises turn out to be to be uh, incorrect. And look, you know, no one enters into one of these transactions expecting something to go wrong. But the reality is that you know you're selling, especially when you're selling a private business. Um, uh, you know, contracts. You know, there may be issues with enforcement, or there may be some litigation issue that crops up after the acquisition is completed, or some regulatory approval that's hard to get. But for a range of reasons, uh, vendors of businesses can find themselves in a position where they owe a promise, uh, and then owe, uh, <laughs> and because that promise is broken, mm. they end up owing you know some of the purchase price back to the to the per to the purchaser and so you know it, it, a good a good lawyer uh in, in addition to properly advising their client on how the contract should be constructed will do their best to minimize their client's potential future liability for those kind of losses um and so i think you know that that's where the rubber really hits the road and the yeah. difference between an okay lawyer and a great one is one who you know who who protects you from those kind of yeah. as best we can you know because you kind of you can't account for every variable but a, a, you know a great lawyer will protect a vendor from those kind of future yeah. liabilities yeah that that makes a lot of sense so just like I guess it sounds like you're a real expert in your field on the representing the sellers. Do you come across sort of, I don't know, the same fabric of people representing on the buy side? Like is it a network, like is I don't know, like it, a, commu- a community is, yeah. community of uh people that uh you you're used to working with and some I imagine you, you know, you collaborate with to a certain degree, but some are like, oh my God, I've come up against this guy again and <laughs> gonna, he's going to make my life hell for the next six months. Yeah, look, that's definitely part of it. So it, it's funny, I think, you know, the, the natural inclination might be uh, to want to come up against a green lawyer or somebody who's not very good at their job on the other side. Uh, but that's dangerous for a series of reasons. Firstly, because you often spend more time teaching them how to do the deal. Uh, or they they ask for things that are silly and you waste all the time. Mm. Uh, you know, it, it can stretch out the timetable. It can add to costs. Uh, it can make everyone frustrated. Uh, we always prefer to act against a law firm who's experienced 
Um, and yes, you're right. There is a community of people who do this kind of M&A and capital markets work. Um, it's a limited number of, it's a, it's a limited skill set. You know, there's a, you know five or six very large firms that do it. There's probably you know ten or fifteen mid-sized firms who do it, and then there's a handful of uh, very small firms like ours who do it. And um, we we frequently come up against the same people, and there are definitely people uh, more than others that we enjoy working with. And, yeah. Uh, you know, unfortunately, sometimes we do we do sigh when we use on yeah, the other yeah. side. Fair enough. And then, I think I suspect that's like any business, right? You know, when you're in a in, oh, a, in a competitive environment, you know, you, you come up against uh, someone on the opposition who, for, for, for whatever reason, you just know is going to make make this deal more difficult than the last one. Yeah, yeah. And then, so how many deals would you have flowing at any one time on average? So I just completed uh, an IPO of a, a, an oil and gas um, ex- explorer in uh, south uh, southwest Queensland. That was a, a $30 million market cap deal. Um, I'm working on maybe three or four uh, M&A deals at the moment. I'm doing a reasonably sizable capital raising for a listed company. And my business partners, uh, Sean and Bob, I think they're working on three M and A deals each, uh, and they're a mixture of sell side and buy side, but mostly mostly sell side deals. So we are um, extremely extremely busy at the moment, which is you know a very good problem to have. Yeah, um, I, I must admit that you know given current economic conditions, uh, I'm surprised at, at, at the volume of work we have at the moment, mm. uh, and I suspect. That it's largely because people think that they need to get the deal done this year because next year it might not be possible to raise that capital or sell your business. Got it. Got it. Got it. So next year could be frightening for yeah for a range of reasons. But I really do feel like uh, we're, we're heading towards the edge of a cliff in some respects. And so, Anand, for Sun Law, um, is it a transactional based business or is there a recurring revenue element to it? How does that? You know, uh, given that, that that times might be changing next year, I'm just curious as to yeah. Know, so, uh, are, we, are, you, are you as only only as good as your last deal, sort of thing, or is there something else that keeps it going? There's certainly an element of truth in that, Brendan. But um, uh, one thing that we've been doing for the past five years, um, in, in addition to the transactional work we do, which is frankly where most of our profit comes from, we also act. Um, on retainer for a number of clients. It, it, for most of those clients, um, we act as their statutory company secretary um, and we provide a kind of outsourced uh, legal general counsel, if you like, service for them. Um, um, and, and I think that aspect of our business is quite different from other law firms. Um, so... Yeah, luckily for us, that that sort of recurring revenue part of the business, you know, probably provides about a quarter of our revenue, mm-hmm. and a lot of those clients will then go on to use us for transactional work. Yeah. Um, so, um, look, there's some very long-standing relationships there. In fact, relationships that predate this firm that I brought over from my previous practice. You know, people who. Uh, I have been company secretary and external legal advisor for eight years, too. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, luckily for us, we we do have um, a good component of our business is recurring revenue. Yeah. Um, and so, 
um, you know, hopefully that makes us a little more resilient if there's a downturn in transaction work next year. And what is the size of the firm? So you, you said you've got three partners, including yep. yourself. So we're, we're 10 in total. Yeah. Uh, we have someone new starting on Monday, so that'll make us 11. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, we are a bit more focused on trying to turn that company secretary re- recurring revenue business into a larger business. So we are currently recruiting uh, for, um, for a manager of that division. Um, who'll be a sort of professional? The person who we're talking to is a, is a professional company secretary, and hopefully mm. um, that they'll come and join our business and help us grow it. It seems to it seems seems to make a lot of sense because I guess if you're at a certain size, it becomes very expensive to employ someone full time. Whereas if you could get the uh, same that, get the same service and outsource it, then it's yeah, it's and that's be- exactly what we. That's exactly how, how we sell it to our clients. You know, if every public company needs a company secretary. Uh, there are 2,200 or thereabouts companies listed on ASX. You know, the top two, three, four hundred, you know, be uh, billion-dollar or multi-hundreds of billion-dollar companies. For them, employing a company secretary for a quarter of a million dollars a year is, is not a big cost. But for the, you know, the bottom, let's say, 1,500, that's a pretty big spend, yeah. um, and often you have to make compromises in terms of the skill set of the person you employ. So ideally, you'd have somebody who'd be your general counsel and company secretary combined, but he or she might be a subject matter expert in your business. E.g., they're a great insurance lawyer because they're an insurance company, but you know they don't know the listing rules or the Corporations Act, um, and they're unfamiliar or less familiar than. We are, for example, with uh, meeting procedure and how AGMs and board meetings are run. And so the, the value proposition to our clients is uh, instead, of, instead of having one person, you know, tr- try to cover all those bases, um, you know, we can come in and be your corporate legal advisors in terms of your ASX listing rule compliance and your Corporations Act compliance. Plus, we can also be your company secretary, run your board meetings, bid at those, you know, draft your notice of meetings and, and, and be there for your AGMs to help yeah. hold your hand and also deal with with regulators on your behalf. You know, ASX and ASIC can be um, intimidating from time to time, you know. And uh, and so, yeah, look, you know, for a, a fraction of the cost of having a full-time person doing that, we can provide that service and, and that's been a really compelling offering. Frankly, the only thing limiting us from growing that business, Brendan, has been mm. the inability to find quality staff over the past 12 months. I, I was going to say, and then where do I sign? Uh, except I don't have an ASX-listed company. So. <laughs> <laughs> Fix but, that. Yeah. Fix that. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, compliance is, I mean, Australia is just so heavily regulated and compliance is just such a big part of running all these businesses, isn't it? So it makes sense to yeah, that's right. have, have professionals in your corner that are going to make it all go smoothly. That's right. At a fixed cost, um, you know, um, so that it it, it just makes just makes sense. The, yep. the other area that we're looking to grow our business into is in the actual world of compliance itself. Hmm. So there, there are many companies... Uh, that are regulated in financial businesses that are regulated either under the Australian Financial Services Licence Regime or the Australian Credit Licence Regime. So, you know, everyone from financial advisors to investment banks to um, 
some brokers uh, and, and money lenders. And so we this year we started a business in partnership with um, some friends of ours. Um, it's a, a business called FS Reg Financial Services Regulation, and you know we're offering compliance services at, at you know uh, again sort of retainer style arrangements. So um, yeah, I think you know the, the M and A of the capital markets work is interesting and sexy, but actually that. Um, if you like, but boring, repetitive compliance style recurring yeah. revenue work is actually, I think, where we could really build a, yeah. a very compelling business that you know maybe even be ready for sale one day. Yeah, because I guess the the issue with the M and A work is is that it's hard for you to and your partners to turn off, right? Because you have to touch everything. Is, uh, is that right? Or it, that, yeah, no, that's part of it. But also, you have to keep finding the M&A yeah, work, yeah, right? Yeah, that's right. It's like yeah, um, that... whereas if you have a client signed up to provide company secretarial services, yeah, assu- assuming um, they're still in know, business, you... they're going to need it. So right, exactly. Yeah. And if you've got an AFS license, you're going to need a compliance officer. And yep. if you're a small financial services business, again, why spend a quarter of a million dollars on a full-time compliance officer? Where for a fraction of the price you could get, a, mm. you know, a team of people to to execute that work for you. So, um, look, I think one of the cha- one of the benefits of being, for example, a, a, um, an accountant is that they have you know regular client auditing, they have regular tax returns, you know, annual work that's repeat revenue. Yeah. Lawyers tend to not have that style of business, um, and. So one of the ways that we're looking to kind of, you know, revenue-proof our business is to is to create those kind of yeah. um, recurring revenue um, streams. No, it sounds sounds like a sounds like a great strategy to move forward for you. Yeah, look, I mean, we're we're really trying to 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 build something uh, mm. that uh, that stands the test of time, and you know, um, and that. Uh, is is different from, from yeah. all of our other competitors. That's brilliant. All right, Anand, well, we've come to the uh, end of the interview. If people want to find out more about SunLaw, what's your website? It's uh, www.sun.law. It's very easy. There you go. The, that, uh, that's a little bit unusual for a, um, a law firm, isn't it, to go out on the .law bandwagon? But, you know, it's easy to remember, that's for sure. Well, it tells everyone what we do as well. Yeah. Yep, 100%. Okay, Anand, thanks very much for coming on the show today. Brendan, I appreciate your time. Thank you. You've been listening to an APAC EO production. I hope you've been enjoying listening to the podcast. If you are, it would be great if you could help us out by leaving us a review and sharing this with friends and colleagues.